Welcome to the Movie Librarians Podcast. I'm Martin, and I'm a real-life librarian. And I'm Deepti, and I'm a librarian by proxy. (laughs) A word of warning to any new listeners. Our synopses and notes definitely will contain all sorts of spoilers. Ideally, you will have watched the movie prior to listening to this review, but if you just want to know whether you should watch it or not, check the show notes for the timestamp for our verdict. On today's episode of The Movie Librarians, we're reviewing the 2020 Netflix movie Rebecca, based on the 1938 novel of the same name by Daphne du Maurier. This movie is directed by Ben Wheatley and stars Lily James, Army Hammer, our friend from Sorry to Bother You, Kristen Scott Thomas, Keely Hawes, Anne Dowd, and Sam Riley. I was going to say, with, with our movie last week, or last time, uh, we're kind of doing a Lily James, Army Hammer double feature here. It's true. It's true. They were both in Sorry to Bother You. Mm-hmm. Just so everyone knows, we both got our vaccines today for ye old COVID, so anything ridiculous we say is not our fault. What's our excuse for all the other episodes? We have no excuse for other episodes. Mm, um, damn it. Uh, pandemic times. That's our excuse. That's true. It's, it's the new normal is ridiculous. Something, something. I'm sorry for everyone who hates new normal. I know. It, we've heard it too much. It's always the new normal. Time is a linear process. Every day is the new normal. Every day is a winding road. So, Deepti? Yes? Would you like to give us a synopsis? I would. So our protagonist in this movie is a young woman who is a companion to a wealthy older lady vacationing in Monte Carlo. I had to look up Monte Carlo because it's like one of those things you hear, one of those places you hear of all the time, but I didn't actually know where it was. Apparently it's in Monaco. Continuing on with our synopsis. While in Monte Carlo, our protagonist meets Maxim de Winter, who's a handsome, wealthy widower. They fall in love and get married, and he swoops her off to his estate called Manderley, located in England. Once they get there, however, their relationship changes. Everyone at the house, the staff, his family members, etc., appear to be obsessed with Maxim's late wife, Rebecca. And this new Mrs. De Winter simply can't fill her shoes. She seems to stick her foot in it at every turn. The housekeeper, Mrs. Danvers, is particularly cruel to the new Mrs. De Winter, comparing her appearance, her upbringing, pretty much everything to that of the flawless Rebecca. Gradually, our protagonist starts to lose her mind, She's haunted by Rebecca and mistreated by the staff and given the cold shoulder by Maxim. Then, Rebecca's body washes up on shore, and Maxim, who claimed to have buried her months ago, is accused of murder. He then confesses to this new wife of his, the new Mrs. De Winter, that he actually hated Rebecca, even though she thought that he was in love with her still. He actually hated her, and he said that Rebecca was horrible to him and cheated on him with multiple men, and that he had to kill her. This new Mrs. De Winter decides to stick by Maxim, and he's eventually proven innocent. However, as they drive back to Manderley from the jail cell, they see that the house is up in flames. Mrs. Danvers, the housekeeper, who really loved Rebecca, and who hates the fact that Maxim is not going to basically be hanged for murdering her, has set the house on fire before jumping off a cliff into the sea. And the movie ends with our protagonist and Maxim living a new, unencumbered life in Egypt. So that's our synopsis. Now it's time for some fun facts. Fun facts. So, so did you notice how I kept referring to our protagonist as the protagonist? I did notice that deeply. Mm. I wanted to ask you about that. Did you? I did. Okay. Did you notice that in the movie? 
that I, she actually has no name. I didn't notice that specifically. I did think partway through, kind of towards the end of the movie, like, I can't remember what the main character's name is or what, what Mrs. DeWinter's name is. Mm-hmm. And now they only talk about her as Mrs. DeWinter's. Mm-hmm. Um, well, surprise, surprise, she has no name. Yeah. And that is a... Because of the book? Um, that is because of the book. In the book, the protagonist is actually the narrator. And so there's never really any need to give her name. <laughs> yeah. So she's just referred to as Mrs. DeWinter, if referred to at all. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. So that's your first interesting factoid. Your second interesting factoid is a little more depressing, actually, and it has less to do with the movie than it does with the book. I found in my research that uh, apparently this novel, Rebecca, may have been plagiarized from a Brazilian author's book, um, a book called The Successor by the Brazilian author Carolina Nabucco, published in 1934, so four years before Rebecca was published. According to a New York Times article, quote, Miss Nabucco had translated her novel into French and sent it to a publisher in Paris, who she learned was also Miss Du Maurier's, uh, was Miss Du Maurier's only after Rebecca became a worldwide success. The novels have identical plots and even some identical episodes. Mm. So that's a bit incriminating for Daphne Du Maurier, which sucks because I really enjoyed this book when I first read it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a little bit upsetting to know that the whole thing may have been plagiarized. Mm-hmm. And and there's rumors, not rumors, but I also read other things about how her book called The Birds, I believe, may also have been, been plagiarized. The Birds. Um, there's an Alfred Hitchcock movie of, of uh, Rebecca. Yes, there is. So it'd be interesting if he had done multiple Multiple Du Maurier books? Yeah, that's mm. possible. Let me look it up. Mm, yes, actually, she did write The Birds. And Alfred Hitchcock adapted it. Yeah, apparently yeah, another, another fun factoid. So, so this, that's a bit of a downer hmm. that this may have been actually, somebody may have ripped, like Daphne du Maurier may have uh, stolen this story, basically. And then, and then, and then, and then, in that same New York Times article, actually, there's, um, it's there. it suggests that possibly, what's that book with the tiger on the boat? Oh, uh, Life of Pi? That Life of Pi may also have been plagiarized. There's another Brazilian author who wrote a book about a panther on a in a lifeboat, I believe, is mm. what this uh, article says. Yeah, it's a Brazilian writer published a book called Max and the Cats, the tale of a Jewish youth who survives a shipwreck and ends up sharing a lifeboat with a panther. The New York Times article says the plot similarities are not a coincidence since Mr. Martel readily admits that he was inspired by the Brazilian book. Okay. I think that's kind of gross. And and the thing that sucks about the about Rebecca possibly having been plagiarized is it would have been so long ago and it may have been happening that sort of thing may have been happening all the time. Probably. Where people from the global north were just sort of like taking things they found on their travels or, you know, yeah. that were shared with them and just being like, Yeah, I'll just monetize that thing. <laughs> so it's popular somewhere else, so I can make it popular. Exactly, here. nobody will notice. Yeah. Right? Anyway, so that's your second less fun factoid. I apologize. Oh. So I have a fun fact for you. Oh, do tell. This is not the first film adaptation of Rebecca, as we've sort of alluded to already. So Alfred Hitchcock in in 1940 made a version of this. But that itself was not the first adaptation of this movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, It starred Laurence Olivier and Joan Fontaine. But before this, Orson Welles actually beat everyone else to adapting it. He made a radio drama the year that it was published. Oh, cool. That would be uh, very interesting to listen to. It would. I like radio dramas. Do you? Yeah. Maybe we should listen to it when we're doing our puzzle sometime. Isn't that basically what podcasts are? 
Radio dramas? Yeah. I mean, sometimes. Sort of. Sometimes, yeah. Kind of like wooden overcoats. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good radio drama. <laughs> Highly recommend if you've never heard of it. In this movie podcast, we, we also give podcast recommendations. <laughs> yes, exactly. Check out wooden overcoats. <laughs> Check out wooden overcoats. Very funny. <laughs> All right. And another fun fact. I got this uh, piece of trivia from IMDb, and I'm going to quote it directly. Because of censorship rules at the time, in Alfred Hitchcock's version, Maxim couldn't be made guilty of his wife's murder without being punished for it, so the narrative was changed to him accidentally killing her. This infuriated novelist Daphne du Maurier. In this version, the story can be and is told as she wrote it. Hmm. Interesting, eh? Mm-hmm. Interesting that the censorship would mean he had to be punished. It's so dull. <laughs> so puritanical, like... That actually, that explains some of the the comments on the, on Rotten Tomatoes uh, or some of the reviews mention how they changed the ending of this one. Uh, so clearly people were used to the Hitchcock one mm. with that ending, not knowing that that was actually a changed ending from the original Dumourier. Right. Yeah. yeah. So this movie is actually accurate. All right. So, Martin, what yes. was the critical response to this movie? Well, Deep D, I'm glad you asked. So let's start I with Roger. Do. <laughs> let's start with RogerEbert.com, who's the one who who gave me that fun fact about okay. uh, about the previous adaptations. Um, so Sheila O'Malley wrote this one for RogerEbert.com. She gave it a 1.5 stars out of four. Ooh, brutal. Yeah, not not a glowing review. Mm-hmm. Um, she says uh, at the end, this new Rebecca is just too damn sane. Interesting. Okay. Sort of an interesting kind of conclusion to to her uh, review of this. How about our other um, reliable sites, Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb? Uh, Well, to the Tomatometer. Also known to some as the Tomato Meter. But we like Tomatometer. (laughs) We prefer Tomatometer. Much nicer way of Sounds more scientific somehow. Yeah. Um, So on the Tomatometer, the critics' score was an overall 39% fresh. Ooh. which uh, they had an average score of 5.4 out of 10. Okay. Yeah. The audience Not was actually great. quite close to this. Uh, okay. They give a 40% fresh, uh, and their average score is 2.9 out of 5, which Works scales up to, to 5.8 yeah. out of 10. So, so any any uh, good reviews from your average Joe? Yeah, I've got a couple here. We've got uh, Vanessa P., uh, who gave it 0.5 stars. Oof. And said, in part, Arnie reads the most important line in the book without any real thought. He is no Lawrence Olivia. <laughs> Nobody's Lawrence Olivia. <laughs> Which I like this. There's, there's, there's a lot in this that like, you can, it's probably, you know, just autocorrect, I think, because yeah. Arnie I like it, and Lawrence Olivia, but it's still great, quite fun it's to read. Good. Yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> What's the, what is the... What is the most important line? Vanessa does not tell us. Oh, yeah. well, okay. It's been a long time since I read the book. I don't know if we can even find the answer to that. I mean, Most I important line, Rebecca. Last night I dreamt I went to Manderley again. No, that's our protagonist. That's the opening. Let's see. No, there's a lot of quotes here. I'm not going to go through all of them. Well, I have a second review here uh, from Arthur Zed, okay. who gave the movie 3.5 stars. Uh, out of five, okay. and said, last night I dreamt this movie was a bit better. Ooh, zing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As we said, the movie starts with last night I dreamt of Manderley. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That, that was a very good review. Like, I very like sort it. of pithy. And like, you know, it's not, it's not, he's not saying it's bad. Okay. 3.5 stars. But yeah, he dreamt it was high. a bit better. All right. 
So, what did you think about the movie? Did you take any notes? I did take some notes. I've got a good good little book of notes here. All right. Um, Tell us some of your notes then. Yeah. So, uh, hearkening back to our last podcast, actually, mm-hmm. um, you asked me, who is Rebecca? Is Rebecca the new wife, the old <laughs> wife, the housekeeper, or, or Army Hammer? <laughs> um, it is not Army Hammer. It is not the housekeeper. Rebecca is, in fact, the new wife. No, the old wife. Ah, Rebecca is, in you fact, almost the got old it wife. wrong. Okay. Yeah. Um, After all that. Or is she the new wife? I feel like if the new wife is also called Rebecca, it would have been mentioned. It would have been yes. relevant. But no, like I'm saying, Did you know, has come? Rebecca come back into the new no, wife? No, I think you watched a different movie. <laughs> no, yes. So Rebecca is the old wife. <laughs> Rebecca's the old wife. That's that. Yeah. The one who supposedly d- drowned. Yes. So starting off this movie, I didn't know what time we were in. Like, clearly it was sort of beginning of the 1900s sometime. I also was confused. Yeah. Because the clothing didn't quite all seem to add up. Like, sometimes it was like the, what's it called? Uh, flapper girl. Like flappers, yeah. That era. So 1920s? Yeah, but then it suddenly would turn into sort of like 1940s-ish World War Two era pants for the women, and it just didn't, I don't know. It was yeah. confusing. Like the cars were very sort of Great Gatsby-ish. Yeah. Um, there's been... I no... think it's supposed to be like in the Great Gatsby-ish era. I mean, the book was written in 1938, so, right? Right. So Right. Gatsby um, was the 20s, 20s though, I think. Yeah. Like, yeah. It just wasn't clear. It just wasn't clear what time period this was taking place in. The jazz music was very much sort of that... 20s style okay so maybe they were trying um, for the 20s but with some anomalies maybe but yeah we don't we don't know what time it is until we see that card for the ball which says which mentions 1935 for the ball of manderley oh for the last one that happened Mm, yeah for the previous for the previous previous when rebecca was alive yeah yeah Yeah. so we don't get any real sense of that until then but before that i was like are we like the early 1900s and there's just some like anachronisms? Is it the 1920s? It was very confusing. Yeah. I'm sure. And I was also unsure where we were because everyone was speaking French. So I was like, oh, it could be in the south of France, maybe on the Mediterranean. It wasn't totally clear that they're in Monte Carlo. They mention it, though, don't they? Right off the, at the beginning, I think they mention that they're in Monte Carlo. Oh, I missed that part. Or she does. She has a narration thing right at the beginning. So she might have said it. Okay. Yeah. Because remember, it starts with, last night I dreamt of Manderley, and then blah, blah, blah. Right. And then she sort of goes back in time to tell us right. how she met Maxim de Winter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. okay, so my question, and I don't know if anybody can answer this besides like a clothing historian, was Army Hammer is wearing this like bright yellow suit. And the yellow strikes me as not a color that people were using that long ago. I, I mean, I have no way of answering this um, because I'm... Not an expert in fabric dyes. <laughs> I mean, based on what I know of the 1920s, which is admittedly little, I would say yellow would probably work then. The 1930s, not so much, because we're was, still like heavy depression. It was so yellow. Yeah. But it was like a yellow that even today would be very yellow. I don't know. It had like a green tone in it. Anyway, mm-hmm. I'm obsessed with mustard yellow. Uh, it's my favorite color. But he, yeah, he wore that suit a lot. I was going to say that, like, those yellow pants just, like... They kept making appearances. Yeah. I guess he didn't have time. a manservant with him. So, you know, 
And people wore clothes more often, I guess, or for a longer period of I time suppose. at that point, maybe? Maybe. Even if you were rich, though? You probably had a few outfits. Yeah, you'd think so. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, so uh, conclusion. We weren't yeah. totally sure about what time period this was. Yeah. Uh, question for you, Deep D. Yes. Mr. DeWinter, mm. in the beginning, mm-hmm. suggests that they go to lunch at Café Dai or Café Del. What does that mean? What is this café? Um, I think it means garlic café. It does Do indeed. I win? You do, yep. What if it means wing you know café? No, that would have been an E at the end of it. No, hold on. Hold on. Hold A-I-L, on. searching in the dictionary. French dictionary. Oh, garlic. Okay. Yeah. Fine, it's garlic. What's <laughs> wing then? A-I-L-E. Oh, you're right. Damn it. Ha-ha. Nova Damn. Scotia French immersion for the win. Mm. <laughs> Disapprove. It, it's pronounced the same, though. So yeah. like, we've got that. I win. <laughs> or something. So yeah, that's that was uh, those are your notes. That was my fun little thing. No, I've, I've got more to say about the movie overall. Okay. Um, when she once they get married and Rebecca moves in, the music has a very sudden change from like the sort of happy-go-lucky, jazzy, swinging twenty style to like this dark, mysterious thing. Now, this kind of gets to my overall feeling about this movie is that it starts off with this cl- like class drama because Mrs. De Winter, the new Mrs. De Winter, was a a, a lady's Companion. Companion. And then suddenly gets boosted up by marrying Mr. DeWinter. So we go from this class drama to a romance in the first little bit. And then we go to a class drama as the Mrs. DeWinter tries to kind of figure out her way in her new position. And then we go into this thriller while she's in there. And then it turns into this police procedural. And then we end with a kind of horror. Hmm, that's true. Yeah, like or from the police procedural to a thriller, then to a horror. That's a confused movie. Yeah, the movie, like... They needed to decide a little bit more what it what it was doing. Yeah, I agree with that. I was um I was saying basically I, f- I found the pacing to be really weird of all of it too. Mm-hmm. So for example, at the beginning, there's she meets Mister De Winter, and then there's this like this almost like a montage kind of like of her getting all the notes from him, inviting her to go on drives and go to restaurants and things like that. And so this period of time passes really quickly, and we're supposed to assume, oh, now they're in love, and kind of like really, it's it felt to me like the beginning was rushed. That, and also I felt like we were being told lots of things rather than being shown things. So for example, it starts with a narration. It starts with, last night I dreamt of Manderley, and she tells us about this dream, and then she goes, she narrates back to when she first is in Monte Carlo and meets Maxim de Winter. And none of those things, I didn't need that narration. It was unnecessary. And the Um, the narration doesn't really hold through the movie? Like, not enough to really be worth doing? I think it would have been, because this when you read the book, actually, I remember sort of like it just builds and builds and builds in tension. And I didn't get that feeling at all because they start right off with the tension because they start with her bad dream, mm-hmm. uh, which is describing a dream at the beginning. So you're expecting something bad to happen, you know, whereas I feel like if they had just started with, OK, she's this lady's companion and now she meets this man of her dreams and then he takes her home. And, it, and if it were to just gradually build up, like everything seems fine and then gradually things are no longer fine, that would have been more of a psychological thriller mm-hmm. um, but like you say yeah there was no, they had this class thing going on at the beginning where she's a lady's companion and her the lady that she works for is really really mean to her so then it's adding another component to the story that doesn't need to be there that's taking away from the psychological thriller nature of this 
of this story. Yeah, like you said, yeah. suddenly it's class. It's, it's We're talking about class. and Yeah, and like I think they could have worked it into it if they had done so differently. Like if that hadn't been sort of almost the main thrust of that first little chunk, mm-hmm. that it, that it was so important of class. That, That's right. But yeah. she's she's told that she can't sit at the restaurant by herself because she's quote unquote staff. Mm-hmm. Um, then the old lady's really mean to her, always making fun of her. Yeah. So if they'd gone about it differently, they could have made that sort of a subtext of it. And they, I mean, I haven't read the book, so I don't know, but they could have almost made it that uh, the difference between Mr. De Winter and Rebecca was almost like a class thing as well. And maybe it was, maybe that's yeah. what it should have been. In which case you could have had that as a through line throughout the whole thing or something that, that kind of pops up throughout. Right. Um, or like an undercurrent of it, you yeah, know, rather like than rather than alternating stories. Of, yeah. Um, yeah, in general, I felt like it was really heavy handed. The music was over the top. Like you say, the stories are over the top, like this crazy classism at the beginning and then rears its head again. And, and like the when we're supposed to be feeling like, oh, Manderley's haunted by Rebecca. And then there's this crazy flock of birds in the sky with horrible CGI. Yeah, when they did that twice. Twice, come on. on. Yeah, it's just too much. I felt very the same about that, actually, and mentioned... So at one point, Mrs. Danvers was talking about Rebecca. Mm -hmm. And she mentions how Rebecca loved this horse or loved horses. um, And that they aren't near the, the stable or anything. Mrs. Danvers is talking about Rebecca's love of a horse, and then you hear this neigh in the background. That doesn't make oh, any sense. Yeah. Like, yeah, it shouldn't have happened where it did, but yeah. you hear it and you're like, like you why are you putting that in there? Because mm-hmm. there's no horse around you. Yeah. It was all all um, over the top. Um the near car accident at the end, like basically the same thing that happens the near car accident mm-hmm. at the beginning. Yeah, it's supposed to parallel it, but like neither of them needed to happen. Yeah. <laughs> None of them were necessary <laughs> to the plot at all. Yeah, so it was a lot of just sort of in-your-face stuff. Yeah. I was like, this needs to be a lot more understated. Yeah, it needs to be subtle. The music needs to be toned down. It needs to build up. And if you just start with 100, like you have nowhere to go, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, so I found I found it, when I was saying, like, they were, they were telling us rather than showing us, for example, when also they're trying to suggest that, like, Mr. De Winter is still haunted by Rebecca and the mansion's haunted by Rebecca and all this kind of stuff. But they just have the old, her wealthy employer just be like, good luck at Manderley. It's, you know, basically suggesting that it's haunted, kind of. Mm. Also, when the old woman says to her, people have been talking about, you know, the two of you uh, going around. And it's like, well, you didn't need to say that. They could have shown us, like, people sitting at their table sort of looking over at them or, you know, something more subtle. Yeah. Than just telling us everything. Yeah. there's In some ways, I feel like they were trying to keep the audience asking questions. So, like, just starting off with that, you know, I dreamt of Madeline Manderley thing at the beginning. Okay, well, why is why did she dream of Manderley? What's what happens at Manderley, and then mm-hmm. you go to the sort of start off and like, oh, why is this, like, why is she getting bossed around? Why is she the lady's companion? How does that, like, yeah. I feel like they're trying to keep you asking questions, but again, they're not doing so subtly. Yeah, and that makes me think, like, there's a scene where basically Mrs. Danvers convinces her to dress up like the woman in the painting hanging mm-hmm. on the stairwell, and the new Mrs. De Winter doesn't know that that's actually Rebecca. Um, so she gets all excited because no, that it's Rebecca had dressed up like that at the pre one of the previous. Oh, calls. is that what it was? Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. I thought that was a portrait of Rebecca. I wasn't like, yeah, I wondered that too. And okay. That 
that actually would have been a good kind of way to play that too. Right. But they but they had said previously that it was his great aunt. But that, and then when she... See, I thought, I thought Mrs. Danvers was lying to her and telling her that it was the great aunt when it was in fact Rebecca. I wondered that too. But then like the new Mrs. De Winter, Lily James, when she goes running away and then all that, she's like, I didn't know that Rebecca had done this previously or that she had dressed oh, like okay that. okay but then but it, yeah it's not really totally clear but yeah but but my point is like at the beginning when because they introduce they basically tell you like something bad's gonna happen at manderley you mm-hmm. see that coming from a mile away that she's gonna dress up like rebecca and shock everybody whereas if if we didn't know any of that was coming we would have thought oh okay mrs danvers is trying to be friendly friendly with her now mm-hmm. and but like you can because you know something bad's about to happen you know there's undercurrents of evil there yeah so yeah, just over the top. <laughs> um, now, interestingly, I actually looked up the whole synopsis for the book yesterday because mm-hmm. I couldn't remember really any of it. And it actually follows it to the letter. The movie actually follows it completely. But I really enjoyed the book and I did not enjoy this movie mm. um, at all. So I wonder if in some ways sticking so closely to the book was actually a bad idea. Or maybe they stuck to it too closely and then sort of adore, uh, embellished it with lots of music and lots of this and that. And Yeah, I would say it was probably just did too much to make it like the mm-hmm. book. Like didn't didn't take the real sort of undercurrents of it, just took it as like, here's the story of the book, put it into movie form. So yeah. much as like, yeah, when they could have just taken like, here's what's going on. Here are all the things that we need to have happen. Now, how do we make those happen in the way that the book does and build that suspense and and make it yeah. so that, you know, we feel like we're, like everything is fine. And then slowly it feels like everything is kind of going yeah. unglued. Yeah, the ground's for, moving under you. Yeah. yeah. And there, I, I don't think the protagonist not having a name works here. You know what I mean? Like in the book, it makes sense because you're the narrator. You never have to refer to her. Mm-hmm. Nobody has to refer to her. She's the one telling the story. So it's always I, this, I, that. Um, in this, I, I find it makes a little less sense. Yeah, I think it. I don't think it's terribly integral to the story. Like, no, I don't think but I, like, but I think maybe that my point is like maybe they stuck far too closely to the like they didn't. We always want our the film adaptations of a book to be faithful to it, but you also want it to be a good movie, mm-hmm. you know. And here it was faithful to the story, but really not that great a movie. Yeah, and I feel like it didn't need to stick quite that closely mm-hmm. to it. Yeah. Like, yes, the book begins with her saying, I dreamt of Manderley. Does this movie need to begin with that? No, not <laughs> no. really. Can I share my least favorite shot of this whole thing? Oh, a shot? Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, well, I guess it's a couple of shots, but part of a scene, not the whole scene. Uh, it's at the party that they end up throwing, that, that the new Mrs. DeWinter throws. Mm-hmm. Um, during that, the, there's the shot of the, the people dancing around her. Where it's like her and then you see the camera kind of going around her and then you see the people mm-hmm. and it goes back and forth like that. Kind of like Titanic when uh, Kate and, and Leo are dancing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Is going his name Leo? No, Leo DiCaprio and DiCaprio. Kate Winslet. Okay, um, <laughs> wait, what are their names? Rose and Jack. Yeah, right? Rose and Jack. Yeah. I'm so Rose confused. <laughs> Rose and Jack, yes. Uh, when Kate and Leo are Yes, yes, Rose Kate and, Jack and Leo dancing. or Rose uh, and Jack. So going around in that way. But it's trying to have her being sort of confused and... And, and gradually losing her mind. Sort yeah, of, yeah, like everything falling apart. coming apart on her. And I thought it was terrible. I just, yeah. like, I just hated it. And it was like, everything that you're trying to do with this is not working. It's not effective. Like in Titanic, it's fun and, and joyful. And that's when they're having a great time. Mm-hmm. And here you're trying to make it this, like, horrible, off-putting thing. And it, it 
I can see it could be a little disorienting, but... Yeah, they're at a party and basically she's in the middle of a bunch of people dancing around her. Yeah. So they're trying to make it seem disorienting and like she's losing her mind and... Like you don't know why people would be dancing around her like this either. It just kind of goes weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I did yeah. not like that at all. Well, that's the thing. I think the whole progression, she's supposed to gradually sort of veer towards insanity and i feel like that whole progression isn't well done Mm -hmm. you know one thing i also didn't understand was like and i don't remember questioning this in the in the book when i read the book was sort of the change in maxim de winter's personality after rebecca's body is found so for some reason they move back to england and then he suddenly gives her the cold shoulder um but my question is why because we find out eventually that he didn't like rebecca at all why does he need to cold shoulder his new wife Hmm. Like, there's no good explanation for that. And then when they find Rebecca's body and he confesses that he actually killed her, then all of a sudden he's loving and like, oh, I love you. And and he says this horrible, I, I think this was the worst line in the movie, was he talks about how he hates Rebecca. And she says, oh, don't hate her or something like that. And he says, I hate how she changed you. You know, he's like, what? What? <laughs> What are you talking about? This is the worst line ever. What do you mean how she changed you? She, she or, or the new Mrs. De Winter. She mm. changed Maxim. Like, just, it doesn't make any sense to me. Like, the changes in personality after Rebecca's body are found. It just doesn't make any sense. So I think what's supposed to be happening there is that the new Mrs. De Winter comes to live at Manderley and in trying to, to, to adapt to this whole new class that she's in and listening to Mrs. Danvers, trusting her to sort of guide her through that and, and trying to figure all of that stuff out and know how she's supposed to be, is that she inadvertently is supposed to kind of become like Rebecca, so, or at least a little bit more like Rebecca and gradually sort of turn or show some of the qualities that he hated in Rebecca or that were mm-hmm. so terrible about Rebecca. And so that by the time we get to this point where he's confessing to her, he feels like she's really become Rebecca in the way, in all the ways that he didn't like until they have this kind of big confession thing and, and realize that. But it's she supposed hasn't, to happen. Though. Like that's, yeah. yeah, you're saying that's what's supposed to happen, but I, I didn't, mm-hmm. right? She doesn't really essentially change in personality. No, but he kind of sees these things in her, like when she wears the same costume that Rebecca did and. Uh, is ordering people around and puts on the ball. So I think some of those actions are supposed to be okay. indicative of her doing that. Mm. I don't think it it worked well. Yeah. I don't think it was done. I would say that's a bit of properly. a reach. Yeah. No, I agree. That's probably what they were going for, but yeah. I, I don't think it worked. And oh. also, I mean, he's cold to her as soon as they get home. As soon as they get home, he's suddenly like, I have business to take care of. And it's yeah. like, why? That doesn't make any sense. Like, who's stopping you from loving your new wife? Mm-hmm. Nobody. There's a little more off and on when they first get home. Like... He's sort of hot and cold, but then gets more and more distant. I just, I just like that. That sudden switch in personality just didn't make any sense to me. And then yeah. the switch back to like loving Maxim. Yeah, I agree. That was it was kind of weird. Yeah, like just, it's what is the house that makes him cold, or you know, there's just too much going on. It's like <laughs> Manderley, and then Rebecca's haunting the place, and like, and he's a sleepwalker. Like, and he is a sleepwalker. And what does that have to do with anything? Nothing. And, uh, yeah, there's <laughs> just so much going on. Partway through this, I wrote down, this is M. Night Shyamalan on speed. Because there's just so many, like, it's just twist after twist after twist that are not really set up well. And, like, it's just suddenly a train comes along and smashes through. And then train comes along and smashes through kind of thing. This This is not doing what you think it's doing. All in all, a story not well told, I would say. Uh, yeah, and at one point I felt like and said it was, you know, trying to fit too many things into one. It's kind of like a bunch of short films. 
Yeah. Sequentially. Well, this, like I was saying earlier, I think they, they were trying to remain faithful to the book, but in doing so, they crammed so much in there. That doesn't make sense for like an hour and a half long movie or two hour movie, mm-hmm. you know, over the oh, course of a book, those factors like develop slowly and might might sort of contribute to the overall uh, discomfort that mm-hmm. the reader feels. But in this movie, it was just like it was just too much. Yeah. It's just like being hit over the head with signs like signs. Ooh, crows in the air. Bad, <laughs> you know, cre- weird man in this abandoned shack by the ocean. Who's talking about dead Rebecca? Like, yeah, what was he all about? That I don't know. He thing. was also unnecessary. There's just so much unnecessary stuff in this movie. Oh my god! Stop. Should we edit it? That would be kind of fun. <laughs> edit the movie? That would be super fun, actually. If we just like removed the music and then edited it ourselves, <laughs> got rid of all the nonsense, turned it into something else. Yeah, yeah, and then added like really like gradually haunting music. We'll call up Army Hammer and Lily James. Be like, we need some reshoots. <laughs> mm, I don't think we have the budget for that. No, but probably not. Um, Martin and I are movie makers now. FYI. <laughs> okay, we made one five-minute video for a class I'm taking. Yeah. It was really good, though. To be fair, even prior to that class, I was an award-winning filmmaker. Yeah, tell them what award it was, Martin. So, in Canada, we have the Skills Canada competition for high school students to work on and and play around with skills and and sort of learn new things. So I took part in that when I was in high school. And so I won a bronze medal in the Nova Scotia version of the Skills Canada competition for video making. Mm -hmm. So now I don't want to diminish your accomplishment in any way, but the next time somebody says they're an award-winning anything, you should ask them at what age they won it. (laughs) (laughs) And what for. No offense, Martin. No, I'm, I'm proud I'm of your bronze medal. It's fine. It's fine to do that. But I'm also very proud of our little five-minute video that we made. Yeah, as you should, because we won an award for that as well. <laughs> well, I got an extra bonus mark, but yeah, it was an in-class award. Yeah, but it's still you now. It's too true. I am now winner. also an award-winning filmmaker and actress. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, we should totally edit this movie. It would be hilarious. <laughs> One last note: ending the film. With Mrs. De Winters suddenly looking into the camera. What was that about? Like, mm. they're all happy. They've, they're have they victorious. They're in Egypt. They're living safe and everything. Lives. Living yeah. their lives. Trying to find a new place to live. Then they've got their arms around each other. And then she looks into the camera. With that, That's where I got that horror thing from. Like, right, right, she's right. She's looking at you. Or it's almost like they're leaving room for like a sequel. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> Rebecca, Rebecca too. too. Mrs. De Winter. So that was my second mm, yes, that is... thing that I was just like, what the hell? Yeah. So our verdict then. So should we keep it on our shelves? No. No. Burn Definitely it. Not. Okay, I'd keep it on our shelves if we had like a movie editor. And then we could like... <laughs> if we could make it a good version. If we could turn it into a good version. Ooh, yeah. that would be so cool. Yeah, but no, this one, not worth watching. Not a keeper at all no yeah unless you're a unless you're a costume historian in which case you should watch it and let us know if that color yellow that uh maxim de winter wears in the 1930s would have existed i just don't know it just seems like a not the right shade of yellow for that time period i realize that's a strange thing to say but i just you know the, like the range of colors that we wear has increased over time mm-hmm but, or like bathing suits when when they were on the beach. Was yeah, that like a 1930s bathing yeah, suit. Yeah, no, and... the, everything was a little bit anachron- anachronistic. Yeah. Like... Ray leaves his M on her shoulder. Yeah, and I don't think I don't know. I mean, maybe Monte Carlo is different, but I feel like 
British people in the 1930s wouldn't be on a beach sort of making out like and yeah I mean, well, I mean who knows Monte Carlo might have been like anything goes but I think it probably was that's why people went there mm. or another rich went there gender dynamics in this also weird where he's like puts his M on her while they're sort of semi-dating kind of thing um, moments of him like holding her neck when they're kissing or Oh. There's some like yeah. there's a couple of weird things in there that you're like not totally believe mm-hmm. that Mr. De Winters was so, like feeling so objectified or, or subjected subjugated by Rebecca because he's doing all this stuff. Yeah, to the whole story just seemed implausible in this movie in a yeah. way that it did not seem when I read the book, especially with with the actions of the characters. Like, yeah, yeah, it was all implausible. The whole story was implausible. Yeah, it doesn't hold up. No, to scrutiny. Mm. <laughs> so, all right. So, all told, no thanks. No thanks. Not keeping it on our shelves. <laughs> if you have any thoughts or comments on this movie, you can send us a tweet at movie librarians or email us movielibrarians at gmail.com. And now we have some announcements, Martin. Announcements. We do have some announcements. So we're going to be tweaking the podcast a little bit, just trying out a couple of new things over the next few episodes. Uh, we're thinking about focusing on the, the book to film adaptations, just to kind of give us a little bit more of a, of a Focus. focused direction and seeing how the two compare like a book next to a film and whether you should read the book and skip the movie or skip the book and watch the movie or do both on those those rare occasions that they both work out. Let us know what you think about that idea by tweeting at us or emailing us. Again, it's at Movie Librarians or movielibrarians at gmail.com. What's our movie next week, Deep Deep? Well, with that uh, focus on book-to-film adaptations in mind, next episode we'll be reviewing Nomadland, which is this year's Best Picture winner at the Oscars. Also, who knew the Oscars were happening? I feel like I woke up, looked at the news, and it was like, here are the Oscar winners, and yeah. Fewer than 10 million viewers at the Oscars this year. I'm surprised there were even that many. Previous years, it was like 32 million. I guess so, but like, I I feel like, I mean, I read the news every day, and nowhere did I read, Oscars are this weekend, Yeah, you know? But anyway, so Nomadland, Best Picture winner at the Oscars, starring Frances McDormand. Uh, What's the book? The book is the, uh, from 2017, it's called Nomadland. Surviving America in the 21st Century by Jessica Bruder. And I just recently finished this book, so I thought it would be... It just the timing works out perfectly. I have not read this book, and we're going to do it that way, where one of us reads it and, and the other one does not. Yeah, so Martin can tell us whether uh, the movie holds up on its own, because mm-hmm. I might be biased from my having read the book. Uh, I did enjoy the book, but we'll talk more about that mm-hmm. on the next episode. Uh, we'll be watching the movie on Disney+. Plus. Unfortunately, this is the only platform the movie is available on in Canada. We're not super excited about giving our money to Disney Plus, but I read the book now (laughs) and it's too late. Yeah. And it's an Oscar winner. We gotta do it. So that's it for us for this episode. Thanks for listening, and we hope you tune in again for the next episode of The The Movie Movie Librarians. Because of censorship censorship rules. Censorship. Because of censorship rules at the time.